am vengeance, I am the night, and I am Michael Creates, and welcome to This Won't Last Long. I'm Batman, and I support him. <laughs> you do some lame-ass thing like that. Um, but yeah, so... I actually have a plan for tonight's podcast episode. So, uh, firstly, like I do uh, usually, I'm going to do a personal life, a quick update on my life, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty um, pop, uh, pop culture stuff. So, <clears throat> so um, first is first, I went to the Weezer concert last night. Holy shit. Um, it was incredible, man. Laptop. Okay, now it's charging. Um, anyway. Man, it was fucking incredible. Um, some highlights. I'll probably make, like, a highlight video because I actually took uh, a lot of recordings of, like, songs and... Songs. <laughs> um. And, like, a couple funny moments, so... I'll probably make a highlight video. Um, I don't even know what you would call that type of video, maybe like a vlog, I guess, but like, the only vlogging type stuff would just be the same, like, eh, quality recordings of some songs that they played, <laughs> so, I don't know, um, let me know if that's something you want to see, I'll probably make a, I'll probably make like a YouTube short, um, after this about or something asking uh, those guys about it. Because YouTube shorts tend to um, I guess get to more people um, since it's I guess that's the only good thing about stuff like YouTube shorts and TikTok um, is because sorry just sidebar real quick um, it's just because Yes, a lot of that stuff on YouTube Shorts and TikTok is so is such unnecessary information, and it just kind of not to sound like an old man or a boomer or something, but like it doesn't rot your brain necessarily, but it alters it. Like I, I've seen it with like um, my family and like friends and stuff and people I know and love really. Like it makes it sound so dramatic just not really a problem but to like it just lessens people's attentions attention spans and it's kind of it's shitty like it, it really is and sometimes it affects me as well like i'm a victim to it as well so like i get it it's also just like i don't know it, it's like a 50 50 because it lessens people's attention spans but then also um, not to get in, like, a high horse of my stuff or anything, but, like, it shares, like, I don't know, good film stuff and good important quotes from scenes, like, scenes of movies and shows and stuff that are really important quotes in there, like, um, good information about the world, like, news, but that's only, like, I would even call it half. Like, 
less than half of those kind of platforms, but those people that make that sort of stuff are, um, are doing a good thing and like sharing that type of good information on the internet rather than like really inner, really unnecessary um, information and content that encourages that thing in your brain that kind of um, wants that constant um, buzz stuff in your feed. But anyway, um, back to what I was saying. Um, and just the, the point of saying that with my, in relation to me and my personal stuff is just that, like, it helps melt my, um, film stuff better, which in turn helps me get to more people and helps me, um, I guess, have my stuff seen more, but now... That sounds like uh, ego and like selfishness right after that. Not why I want to do this. I'm not going into this industry to have Michael Winter in, in lights on the on a building or have a billion subscribers. I don't, I don't even think it's possible. But twenty million subscribers, like I don't care. I, I don't. I don't. And yes, obviously the super ego part of my brain cares about that sort of shit, but like, majority of me doesn't. Like, as I was saying, um, yeah, no, I don't care about like, my name and lights or shit ton of subscribers or million subscribers or whatever, likes, comments, um, shares, like, I don't care about any of that. I just... I just want to get to that one kid, like, who sees something I make, or have made, and, and says, and thinks to himself, or himself, hey, I want to do that, and I want to inspire people like he did, like he inspired me, like Michael inspired me, just how Tarantino has gotten to me, just how Nolan has has gotten to me. Just how Spielberg has gotten to me. Um, Jordan Peele, uh, fucking Wes Anderson, um, Damien Chazelle, Russo brothers, uh, Cohen brothers, fucking. Oh my god, what the fuck is their names? Um, the Lord and Chris Miller. <laughs> um, and then Sam Raimi. Um, and I, I could list a bunch of other directors, I'm sure, but those are just ten of, like, my biggest inspirations when I'm going into this. Um, and ten people who have... Um, gotten to me... And, 
especially like and I know that these directors are all men but that's for a reason and it's because they've gotten to me in a like social climate where um this is just basic knowledge where as a man you can't really it's not accepted it's getting more and more over time but like you not accepted in the majority that you can really just show your emotions so vulnerably and for these uh male directors to not only show their emotions through their art through their art but show them to the point of such vulnerability and such um, openness. Like, it's... It's very special. And... It's not like... You could argue that with film... You can, um, specifically directors and writer directors, which I'm gonna try to become writer director. Um, you kind of have to, like, it's argued, it's argued that you are able to hide behind your art, but it's a choice. And uh, the people I listed, and, and many, many more directors, male and women, male and female, whoever. There's so many inspirations by director-wise, but, um... Ten people that listed, um, and many more, show their... Like, show their emotions without shame. Without, like... Um... Without embarrassment, without... Um... Yeah, without anger or embarrassment or shame, or, like... Negativity. They show them through a positive lens, and that's that's beautiful to me, man. And I I want to add to that um, a list of uh, directors, or directors who have done that, that uh, with their creations, and films, and or films and things. Um, I want to add to that list of people who inspired not only with just good filmmaking, but also um, being good people and inspiring that emotion and just that uh, concept of wearing your heart in your sleeve. Because yes, wearing your heart in your sleeve allows you, allows you to get hurt more in life, but it allows you to also tend to go on very, um, well, tangents, but, uh, hope you, uh, enjoyed that bit. Uh, what was I saying, man? Uh, uh, 
I was talking about Weezer, right? <laughs> talking about Weezer, holy shit. How did I get to that from Weezer? Wow, okay. Um, anyway, more bits about that is that... Um, I learned more about um, my friend that I went with. much more through just night. It was very interesting. Um, very eye-opening. Not at all uh, in a bad way. Very positive way, actually, but anyway. Um, and then a lot of the moments I'll save for, like, the vlog that I'll make. Um, compilation, whatever you want to call it video, just call it a video. Um, yeah, the opening act was like two hours, I swear to God, because the doors opened, uh, like for the Budweiser stage and everything, at six. Granted, that's fair, because like people wanted, it's a long concert, like people wanted to control, ease in, and know that they're going to sit here for like Say you got there at 6.30, like, five hours, because it ended, like, around 11.30-ish. Um, close to 11.30, and you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and then, like, so, two of the, uh, the two bands who were the opening act for Weezer never heard of before, but, uh, there was Joyce Manners, I think. Uh, banners, Joyce. Either Manners or Banners, I don't know. I'm just gonna call them Manners. And Joyce Manners, and then there was. That was for like. Uh, we weren't there at 6. We got there like. 6.45, we got in the grass. Um, so it's not like we. You know. Could know if. There was a band playing for the for, for that first like half an hour, but um, like music playing or whatever. But um, there was Joyce, Joyce Manners played for like I want to say hour and a half, maybe, um, and probably more um, before we got there, and then. There was Future Islands, they were called. Um, I laughed because they were like, still to this day, and I don't think I will ever know what country these guys are from, um, because I could not understand a word they were saying. Um, they were white, not that, but, uh, they were white men, not that that matters, because language and I don't even know why I said that. Anyway. <laughs> not even relevant. But yeah, they were like, not even <laughs> And the guy was like, the front man and like the lead singer was like really passionate, like rolling on the floor, growling and like screaming. Really aggressive, like, granted, they're a metal band. Um, 
just not an understandable one. <laughs> so, it was a little off-putting. Uh, but, I mean, like, I respect his passion a, a lot, actually. Like, no, like, jokes aside. I wish I had a video for you guys, for it to show you guys on my Google Drive or something, but... Uh, I haven't had anything yet. I just thought of the idea for making a video about it, like, when I started shooting this, so... Uh, but yeah, um... Well, they played for, like, probably, yeah, another, like, hour and a half, I want to say. Yeah, because Weezer didn't come on the stage until, like, 9.15, I want to say. So... Yeah. So, like, that's... It's like close to a three-hour opening act. What the hell? Uh, <laughs> only been to one concert before this uh, with Gorillaz. Granted, it wasn't a seated concert or sorry, lawn concert. It was at like an inside. Uh, it was Rogers Center. Yeah, Rogers Center. Uh, Gorillaz. Um, that was in October last year. Um, so. And even then, for Gorillaz, I think the dude's name, but um, it was some up and coming um, pop party um, pop artist, but anyway, at the time, but uh, he went on for like, I want to say, not even an hour and a half, like, hour maybe? And then Gorillaz came for like, and then played for like three hours, so... I don't know, like, I get it, because the sub caption for the concert on like Ticketmaster said Indie Rock Tour, um, or Indie Rock Road Trip, but like, granted, I mean, I didn't read everything about the concert, I'm sure there's more, maybe there's more that they said or clarified on posts or whatever, or somewhere, um, articles, whatever, clarifying that this wouldn't just be a Weezer concert. Like, you should say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not that, like, it was very entertaining those first few hours. That's, that's for fucking sure. So, I'm not mad about it, but I'm just like, very confused because I only made a one concert, but I don't think that's common for a like, close three-hour opening act. I want to clarify in the, in the chat. Please go ahead. But yeah, I've, I've never heard of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then Weezer came and played for like two-ish hours, so that was nice. Uh, that was nice, what am I saying? Uh, incredible, holy shit. Uh, the highlights were like... Uh, Buddy Holly, that was close to the end. I think we actually got them to play Buddy Holly uh, after the encore. Um, the way they immediately like... kind of went into playing it kind of made me think they were already like 
planning to do that. I think they're already planning if they did non-core, or if we did non-core kind of thing. Um, which was smart of them, honestly. Um, but yeah. So everybody lost their shit when they did Buddy Holly after the encore. Um, and then... Uh, everybody lost their shit with Sweater Song because... With uh, Sweater Song, they did... Like, they stopped playing for a second. And then, like... Um, everything, like, sound, like, cut off for a second. And we were like, everyone was like, what the fuck's going on? And then, it was like all black. And like, and then the blue came on and we were like, oh shit. Something from the blue album was coming on. And then, uh, they started playing this better song and everybody lost their minds, dude. And then, of course, say it ain't so. Fucking. <sighs> but yeah, like, everybody, like, even with Buddy Holly, Oh, with the... How am I blanking on the riff? Oh my god. The Buddy Holly riff. Um, like, everybody knew it was coming. We knew it was coming. They, like, paused. Like, a quick second. Everybody was like, oh shit. You know. And then, like... And then they did the riff. And then they continued the song, and everybody screamed. Uh, oh, it was so dope. And then... I think that was all the highlights of the night in general. I mean, I was pretty proud of myself for navigating Toronto. Um, is yeah, I mean, my friend and her, um, her friends were like, like kind of new with like, Google Maps and stuff, and like, had a plan already set, but like, in terms of my memory and my like directional stuff, I we got there like to the menu um, from because I can't say her name from Jordan's Google Map stuff, but then going home to the station, um, uh, they didn't know really we. I had to get back to the station, so I kind of had to like switch on my memory and be like, "Oh shit, where were we? Uh, what did we pass last time?" Like, and then I got us to the station. Um, so I, I'm pretty confident in being able to live here. Um, granted, that was just one, um, you know, experience, and it was a concert. It wasn't like you know, going out to dinner, and like, it was, it was a very people-y thing of other people going to where we were going, like, it's not, it's not that impressive, it's just a good sign, um, of me being able to live here next year, in the fall, with, uh, York and stuff, so, good sign, good sign, and then, sidebar with good signs, I, uh, speaking of good signs, I, um, I lost my first two pounds on my weight loss journey, um, because uh, with the antidepressants that I used to be on, um, used to be on, I'm no longer medicated on antidepressants, on antidepressants, there you go. So, 
That's good. Uh, very happy about that. I feel like you know, I was already myself. I was always myself. Like I feel more like myself. And now it's now I'm only on ADHD stuff, which is good. It helps uh, eating stuff. So and it was like the opposite. Because the antidepressants were not helping with eating. And one of the side effects was more of that, like weight gain. And the opposite side effects were ADHD meds, which would be uh, weight loss, like loss of my appetite. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, I was 186 pounds, now I'm 184. Um, <clears throat> not much, but it's a very good sign. Doing something like my exercise, my diet, my routines, and whatever. So, yay. Um, hopefully that, you know, lessons uh, during the last, I mean, right, there isn't that much of the, the summer isn't a long time, it's like, what, less than two months away that I go off to York, so, I don't have an incredible amount of time, but I have enough, I think, to lose a bit more, I'm not gonna set some goal, because I don't want to be disappointed in myself, I don't get it, so I'll just see and go with the flow and go with what I'm doing, or um, what I'm doing right, and see how much I lose. Um, but uh, my friend Jordan made a good point last night about it, because I was telling her about it as well. He was saying, like, don't make it just about the weight loss part, but, like, make it also about, like, a relationship with food in your body and body image and stuff like that, which actually, it was actually a very good point that she made with that. Uh, but yeah, so that's some stuff with that. Nothing really else, nothing much else to say about that. Uh, but yeah, very proud of myself for that. Also burned a shit ton of calories yesterday because I ran to the bus station, uh, kind of back to Weezer, um, and or, uh, train station, uh, I catch the train to, uh, get to Toronto, so, it was a 45 minute walk, uh, it's head on Google Maps, I ran there in 35 minutes, um, yeah, like, for a little bit there, like a little bit of the first leg of the walk, I was like, okay, it's fine, I'll be on time, and then when I, it was about like halfway um, that I realized like oh shit I need to run and I like just <laughs> I think fuck we were on time but yeah um, and then like obviously walking and standing a lot of the time being in fucking a heat warning Granted, I wore like a tank top and shorts, like I wasn't, I yeah, like I was fine. Yeah, I apparently burned like 3,000 calories, which I think was, um, because I stayed up 
night before uh, doing a lot of like editing and stuff, which I'll get to. Um, So that went really late, so I didn't wake up yesterday until like 1 p.m. I know it's embarrassing, but since that was the case, I only ate a little, like a lunch, lunch, whatever. Um, like a not a little one, I would say like a decent sized one, and then like the next I had anything was I had like a Coke. At there's like a hot dog stand in front of where we need to go in front of the venue um, right before you got in so like sorry right before you got in through the gates to go to the venue because so, it was in front of like Oakville place Ontario place anyway um I did want a hot dog but it was a little early and I wasn't like hungry for like, I knew if I got a hot dog then, and I would be, like, hungry later that night, so I just figured I would wait to get actual. So, yeah, I something like one, waited, like, four hours to get a Coke, um, and then waited, like, an hour and a bit to eat a hot dog that I got, um, in the actual venue, so. and then I... I was still hungry a bit later, so like an hour ago. Like an hour a bit later, and that's when Future Islands was playing. Uh, I got some fries and a lemonade. And um, the waters were very big. Thank, thank. Can't speak. Thank fuck for that. $7 water, maybe not worth it, but you know, you know what, I would have passed out without it, so, <laughs> thank you Budweiser stage for the one liter water, like two of those, and a coke, and a lemonade. You could guess that, based off of that, that it was a very boiling-ass day yesterday. Uh, but we made it, and obviously, when it became nighttime, the breeze came, and nighttime makes it cooler, so that was very nice. But yeah. Um, the walking back to the station, all that, yeah, it literally said, 2,984 calories burned so much shit. So like, I would think, I mean I'm not an expert, but I would think all that I ate yesterday was like, close to 2,000 calories. I mean, yeah, if I just keep at that, um, some days and stuff, and you know, I'll get there. I don't think there was anything else with Weezer. I think I'll keep all the actual, like, moments, moments to the video to talk about and stuff. Because I just know with my 
Um, dog looked like she was fucking seizing up just there. She was just nuzzling in her head. Uh, anyway. Because I just know with my mind. And like YouTube and stuff. And making stuff. And if I like talk about all the stuff I want to talk about during the vlog or whatever. Um, or whatever you want to call it. That I'll just want to make the video now. And I will be distracted so. HD go burner. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's it with. Um, I don't know, there is. Last thing I want to talk about personal life and all that stuff. Other stuff. Um, the interview, the project I'm working on. Um, if you don't know, I am working on. exactly what you would call it. I would just call it a project. Um, but the interview, I'm calling it, is a mix between the uh, terrifying concepts of Truman Show, if you've seen that, with Jim Carrey, 1998, mistaken, um, movie, it's a great movie, Jim Carrey, great movie. Um, if you don't know the premise of the movie, basically, Truman, Jim Carrey's character, his whole life has been broadcast, um, his whole life, um, even, like, the city he lives in is a bubble of a set, um, even up to the water and the, and, like, the clouds in the sky, and the grass on the ground, like, it's, everything is fake in the set, and his mom and his dad are actors. They killed off his dad, but really did kill him off. They just fired him. Um, because his dad wanted to... Um, I guess the actor for the dad got too close to Truman and wanted to actually be his dad, so he tried to tell Truman the truth of his life being broadcast, and then they fired him off set. Really, Truman thought his dad died in this boat accident, but really, he's been alive the whole time. <laughs> and, um, it's fun. so that's fucked up. His wife is an actor, his best friend is an actor, his brother, his teachers, is like everything. Everyone's an actor, everything's a set. Um, I'm kind of doing, I'm mixing that, as well as the. Humor, humorous nature of Mark Flyer's um, Choose Your Own Adventure stuff. So, like, Heist with Mark Flyer, Date with Mark Flyer, um, In Space, Mark Flyer, uh, what was the other one? Who Killed Mark Flyer? all those ones and mixing the fear and the terrifying concepts of the Truman Show. So, uh, Goofy with Markiplier stuff and terrifying with Truman Show stuff. Goofy and terrifying melted together in a 
Future Adventure style uh, horror-esque thing. Basically, um, my character, uh, the main character, Markiplier-esque, um, is a an, is an exaggerated version of myself. Basically, in a world where, uh, like I was saying before, I'm foreshadowing in podcast. Uh, stupid. <laughs> Uh, as I was saying before, like, basically a version of me in a world where I wouldn't, I do care about the numbers and the subscribers and the fame, and, um, so basically a version of me who gives a shit about that stuff, and lets the fame take over him. So already that's kind of a dark concept, and then I kind of expand on that, and um, his, his ego was explored. Um, one of my friends generated generated a good idea for his name actually today, um, rather than just Michael, um, like my name, maybe he could be named Mr. Winter. So um, kind of like a um, like a douchey like uh, Mr. Winter. Not that he thinks he's all that, but also like because of. Besides that douchey thing, it also gives off, like, um, suspicion and, like, well, who's Mr. Winter? Like, it gives off both, um, humor and, so, um, let me know what you guys think about that. Again, I'll make a YouTube short about that later, I'm sure. In the YouTube shorts, all about this. Um, but yeah, Mr. Winter. Uh, and then he, his ego was explored, um, kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Basically, what, what sets him off is that he has to watch the Truman Show for uh, university classes. Uh, I would, I would have put, I originally put like a high school class or something. I re the original line was like for class tomorrow, um, but then. I changed the line to say tomorrow's lecture because that felt more like a more older, uh, more older, like an older character and like a more mature, uh, on the surface at least, character who, um, is not a high school student. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm not anymore, but like. At the time of writing the screenplay, I was. Um, I wrote that a long time ago. And then... So... Yeah, so I just put... Tomorrow's lecture, and then... So, Mr. Winter has to watch... Truman Show for a lecture, um, for university the next day. And then... After watching the movie, like, during the watch... During the watching of the movie, like... And it starts to like, and the doubt was a real and was hot in his life, and um, he kind of starts to believe the concept of the movie, what's real and what's not, and he kind of, he kind of has a sense of clarity, but also insanity, uh, kind of a switch flip, uh, because he 
try not to reveal anything too much. Um, he... If you've seen the promotional material that I've made so far, you would see that red has been used a lot. Um, that's because Mr. Winter uses this red light um, in his uh, in one of the rooms over the main floor here uh, as kind of a tether to reality because of uh, a la Inception. Um, if you've seen Inception, you would remember that. Um, what's his name? Uh, I forget the main character's name, but Leonardo DiCaprio's... Leonardo DiCaprio's character's name. Oh, wait. Leonardo DiCaprio's character... There you go. Um, has, like, a traitor as his tether in, like, dream world and stuff. Um, this isn't the cream world, that's why it's not the same thing. It's different because with the red light, it's kind of Mr. Winter looks at it, he's like, okay, I'm still still my I still control what I'm doing here, it's still my life. Like he, he kinda knows it's kinda not to set him off on that path of like insanity, but Because he kind of starts to believe, and because like a part of him already kind of believes it's all fake, like the Truman Show, um, like the movie he just watched, um, a part of him already has that sense of, oh shit, I can do whatever I want. It's really my life. Just being broadcast, it's not real. Um, none of this is real. He kind of has that sense of like clarity almost. Um, not a normal one, <laughs> granted. He kind of has that sense of, like, um, ego, where he thinks he can do whatever just because it, just because he doesn't think it's real. And when he doesn't know that, for sure. So, um, I'll have you guess what that belief makes him do, but... So there's nine videos, and there's the intro video, and there's the pathways, and there's some pathways off of that, and there's uh, pathways off of two of those pathways. <laughs> I'm trying to think my information is correct. I, I made this stuff a little bit ago. Phone's charging in the corner, so I can't check. Uh, I took a photo of it, of like my storyboards and like my map of it. So I think we're gonna intro video and those pathways. Um, that's. Seven, or sorry, six, because one of the pathways after the first video, the intro video, has two endings. That's already two endings. And <sighs> pathway, pathway 
left to the left has two pathways. Um, so that's eight, and then all those eight videos lead to one main ending. Yeah. Or I guess you would say six videos because not counting the two endings, but like if you think about how the viewer would watch it, um, like if you get those two uh, non main endings, you'd be like, oh, I want to know what the main ending is. Like it's just naturally you would want to know what the main ending is anyway, whichever way you go. That's how it's uh, planned out. So, six, pa six pathways, three endings. Uh, who will live? Who will die? Who knows? Who will stay sane? Who won't? They are. I'm thinking of how cool that's gonna be for like a caption on like promotional stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cause we gotta make a trailer soon. Cause like it's coming up to that time where I should have an official trailer. So the teaser trailer was like March, um, and then I made an in-production thing, which uh, I'll show you in a second to close out this segment. But um, yeah, so like. And then the in-production teaser I made last, or not last week, um, Monday. Because Monday is when me and my good friend Liam, um, that's when me and him filmed uh, the first page of the interview, so that's awesome. And we got that done, and I worked really hard to uh, make sure it looked good today, and edit uh, the little that we filmed, that we managed to film, and get done on Monday. So that's all edited, um, because, as I was talking about last time, I think I did talk about last time, last episode, uh, I was kind of saying that based on how long the summer is, um, sorry about that. ADHD Cooper. Uh, I kind of have to, I don't really have time to have this whole two to three week shoot and then spend however long, probably the same amount of time, if not longer, like very close to when I want it to be done, but before university. Like, that just won't work. So, basically what I'm doing, and I've found a solution for it, since I would only be able to shoot to film with my friends. Um, mainly Liam, I would think, but hopefully Cam as well. But anyway, you'll meet both of them when the behind-the-scenes releases, actually. Uh, anyway. So, since I can only film with them, 
in terms of like kind of how I thought about my schedule this summer, like only like twice a week at the most um, to film. That's only like I thought of like how many videos there are and stuff. That's like like I said, like three weeks ish. Um, a month at like the very, very most. I hope not. Like three weeks. Uh, two to three weeks. So um basically I work those other days, or like the day after, the days after we film the rest of that week to edit what we filmed in those one or two days, and then so on and so forth, until we're done filming everything, until we're done filming everything, and then once we're done filming everything, that kind of gives me that time to edit everything and make sure everything's, uh, as good as it can be, um, and then if worst comes to worst, worst comes to worst, we have that time to do reshoots quickly, um, and then me edit, me re, and then I will, and I would like re-edit accordingly um, quickly as well. So I hope reshoots don't have to happen, but if they do, then they do, and we have that time. For it, so me and my friends. So yeah, um, very happy about how it's gone so far. Wish me and Liam filmed film more on Monday, but I hope. And the plan is because I work Friday and Saturday this weekend, so plan is that uh, at 5 p.m. So I, I hope my hope is that I can like wake up a little bit earlier, do like. Other stuff that I wanted to do during the day, other than filming, workout, you know, shower, laundry, all that stuff um, in the morning, and then have him come over early afternoon, film what was left of the intro video, and then I go to work, and then and then there you go, and then that's all. And then the time is made up for for Monday, so yeah, uh, hopefully that works out. But if not, then we still have that time. So, hopefully. Ah, uh, but yeah. Um, I think that's it. Uh, oh, and then of course, like I said last time, I was skating, playing guitar, learning. Learning to skate and learning to uh, be good on guitar. Or, oh my god, I'm so sorry for learning. Learning to be good with skating and learning to be good with electric guitar. Um, will be worked on the other days of the week as well. Okay, um, we back. Uh, as I was saying, um, I think that was. Well, um, about it, the last bit is just, um, I don't know, 
Jesus. the show but I have been craving like the right I don't know why it was so important to me but like my first first anime and only anime I've watched up until this point before Demon Slayer was um what Demon Slayer and Jojo was Bebop Cowboy Bebop which a lot of people told me a lot of opinions, a lot of like second and third and, and, and whatever opinions were saying that it was one of, if not the best, anime to start with, with um, to get into watching animes. So, uh, after that, um, after hearing that from basically everyone, I was like, okay, oh shit, I need to find like, something, maybe not better, I don't think it can get better than Bebop, in my opinion, and maybe it will change as I watch more anime, who knows, um, but I'll also just ask a bunch of people who said that Cowboy Bebop was the best ones, uh, anyway, that's the point, um, I knew I needed to find something not better, but on par or um, incredible uh, compared to Bebop as my as the second anime I uh, have ever watched. So um, with my friend group. Uh, it wasn't really peer pressure, it was just me wanting to know what the what the references they were referring to and like stuff they were talking about all the time. Um So I was like, okay, fine, I will watch them and say what you guys are talking about. And then holy shit. Um <laughs> I like watched the first episode. Um, oh, and, and then also I, with Bebop, um, first of all it was my first anime, so I felt like I needed to get that English dub experience at least once, uh, in, or in at least once, um, but also it was because Steve Blum, Steve Blum was like, I, I kind of had to, like, 
it's steeper. It's it's steeper. Um, amazing voice actor. I I, I had to. Um, anyway, with the second anime, I knew I knew I not needed but should have just English subtitles on and hear it for the Japanese voice actors and their kind of work and their original original work but, uh, with Japanese voice actors rather than the English ones so um there was already I like watched the first episode just to kind of like test the waters and see what I was getting into um I was also very busy doing stuff that night, university stuff at that time, so. Um, one episode was all, was all I could really watch um, at that time, so. Um, first episode thoughts, I already really liked it. Um, I already loved the concept. I already loved the dark, like, optimistic tone that they were setting for season one. And then, um, like, yeah, just, <laughs> and then, like, the first episode, I'd say, okay, I'll wait a bit. I'm not really busy anymore, busy anymore to kind of really get into the show and watch some more. And then I think I watched the next, like, two or three, maybe four. And I was like, okay, this is really good. Because then it was like the, um, I was telling Liam this, uh, the other day, I think on Monday, but like, holy shit. The trope of, I don't care how many times, um, Hollywood will do this, Hollywood has done this, I don't care how many times filmmakers do this, I have done this, I don't care how many times I will do this as a filmmaker going into this industry. This trope, this trope of mentor, mentee, student, and the master, father figure, and son figure, or just parent figure, and child figure, I don't care how many times it's done, I fall for it every time. In my, yes, it can be executed, um, to a point where it's not, but, but with, like, it's very hard not to, it's very hard to fuck up. And maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'll get humbled when I try to execute my version of that trope when I make something with a plot, with a child figure and a parent figure in one of my movies. I don't know. Or shows, but I don't know. Um, anyway. Based off the stuff I've seen in my experience, it's very hard to fuck, it's very hard to fuck up that trope of parent figure and child figure, like, 
And it was done in such a way, like, 20-ish minutes per episode. With, with with a show like this and that kind of structure, you would think like that it would just be action, action, action. But no. Like you we like like they really fleshed up the characters. Uh, Urukodaki and Tantaro and Nezuko. Um, or they started to flesh out Nezuko. Um fully fleshed out Burukadaki in that kind of section of the first season in that first section of the first season of him training Tantro and I mean when it really hit me that this show has so much heart um and like kind of like a healthier reminder of what I need to include in the stuff I make, like the heart and the the pure like love um, and the passion and the really just the heart of um, and the care for life and just humans. <sighs> yeah, kindness theme of the show like when that all really hit me is episode I think it was five when under spoilers by the way for like I've only watched the first two seasons so third um, first two arcs rather because uh, I watched the unwavering resolve of Tondro arc first season and then I watched Mugen Train uh, last night. I'll get to that. Um, it was originally a, originally a movie um, rather than a episodic season two, so I count it as uh, just Mugen Train. Um, and I'll consider season three, season two. That's just me. Um, I'm sure, um, it makes sense in my head. Um, yeah. So, with um, I think with episode five, with that first season. Well, yeah. Spoilers for all I've watched so far. Too, so. Um, I could. It was really good and like really humorous and really entertaining and stuff with the first four episodes where he was like getting trained and stuff you kind of saw that heart a little bit of the show and like message and stuff but you didn't really really see it um, starting to take place until episode 5 when Michelle's just thinking about it when Tundro killed the um the bloated, like, one of the oldest demons ever, um, to live. That Urukodaki's 
former students tried to kill every time and failed every time because it was just so big, it was just so intimidating, and this morphed demon always, every time, manipulated the students to his advantage to use that emotion of former students being killed and um, using Urukodaki, one each student cares about, uh, kind of talking about him and insulting him and all that kind of, ne all those kind of negative emotions setting each of the students off to kind of not use total concentration breathing and not fully focus and not fully be in the right mind being the right demon slayer in a mindset and kind of be off course and then I get killed in battle and Tanjiro was almost there he was almost gonna fuck up and then each of the students were cheering him on from the fucking grave and then Urukodaki sensed that and started falling. And he saw Urukodaki falling his eyes out from his mask. And up until this point, with the first four episodes, four or five episodes, you saw Urukodaki as this emotionless, like, um, kind of dick, <laughs> to be honest. Um, obviously you saw little bits of, like, how he cares about each of his students and, like, Andro and Nesco and stuff, but you couldn't just... You didn't really see him as much else. You didn't really see him as much else rather than just like, Oh, he's the guy who trains Andro. No, he really cares about the students. Because... For him to sense that, and sense that that trauma of Urukodakis, that trauma of each of the students, that burden, that... those spirits, of his past students have carried that Urukodaki has carried all of his life. Um, all of his mentor kind of career is dead. Is finally gone and rid of. And he sensed that has happened. And then he starts bawling And because of that realization. And then and then I'm like, oh my god. Like I literally said that out loud. And and then I started crying because Urugadaki was crying because he's up until this point, like I said, he was just an emotionless, like emotionally absent um, mentor who seemingly didn't really care about anything else but training. Didn't really care about Andro's well being or like just didn't really care about anyone past them being warriors um rather than like actual people like it didn't really seem like he cared about anyone as actual people other than past their warriors and stuff like that um but then when you see him cry you realize you see his heart and you see Urukodaki's 
strengthen being vulnerable and help and how important that is to have and then um, and then he comes back and he sees that Nezuko has woken up and uh, he didn't know if she would wake up because at this point we didn't know the characters didn't know I didn't know um, that she was sleeping instead of consuming human blood but that was kind of her that's kind of her um, solution to be a demon demon slayer but yeah so when we all realized that when we saw that and when we saw the hug and when we saw her awake we cried more and, and I was like shit <laughs> and then you saw them go off they start doing their own missions we saw him fucking meet Nasuke and Zenitsu and then later closer to the end of the season of course there was um the nine Hashira that he met those last two episodes yeah man nothing really else to say about season one but like just just that message of kindness is such a constant and important message media is so important Hundro even universe Finn um fucking Shrek fucking like so many animated characters have this Spider-Man will show that guy Spider-Man not that too. And like watching season one, it made me tear up every time a demon in their kind of final moments. Um they're dusting away from their head being off. Nandro ending them would kind of reflect and And have a sense of respect for Tanjiro, for his kindness, for his heart, for his compassion, for life. Um, and even in the end, even how evil and corrupted these demons are, he, Tanjiro respects them. Tanjiro admires them to the sense of uh, these are formidable enemies and these used to be humans just like me and 
they deserve an honorable death. What's been done to them by, uh, Muzan? And... Yeah. I mean, one of the best moments of that was, uh, kind of that short uh, arc in season one with, uh, the spider, uh, demons. Um, the spider demon family. Um, when he killed the sister, he said, thinking about it. Uh, she said such kind eyes um, in her final moments that those were her last words. Looking at Tantro is the last thing she sees. And she says such kind eyes. And realizing that she doesn't she's not mad about dying. She's not afraid of dying. She knows she deserves it for what she's been forced to do, but she knows that Tanjiro knows, and she knows that with that kind heart of his, he knows that she's going to a good place, a good afterlife. And from seeing that in his eyes, she knows that as well. So she has a peaceful kind of last moments, realizing that no matter what she's done, this boy, this boy who's lost it all, saw kindness. doubt and somehow heart in a demonic soul who's been so corrupted to the point of wanting death by just being in this family but among others and then Even harming, uh, even helping to harm his sister. And after all of that, he's Andro sees kindness in this demon. And then she's like, "Well, if he sees kindness in me, then I can die peacefully." Because she was so angry at herself for what she's done. For him to see kindness in her, that was because it just relates to real life of like no matter who you've lost or who you don't have, there's someone who there's someone out there who sees that kindness and sees that heart in you. No matter how very deep it is. They're not us as humans. Just a fact. Yeah.
Um, and of course, the setup from Mugen Train was fucking awesome. I'll get into that. Um, meeting the Nine Hashira was awesome, um, especially because with me and my friend group, there's five of us. There's not nine of us, so like. every single one of them, but, uh, me and my friend group, yeah, me and my friend group do this, oh my lord, me and my friend group do this a lot where we kind of put each other into these boxes of, like, characters, and, like, who we are in character forms, and, like, certain shows and movies and stuff, with Demon Sarah, since we all kind of, um, they knew I was going to eventually watch it, I knew I was going to eventually watch it, so like, we all, at the time, were, or are going to be, or are a fan of Demon Slayer, so like, if we all of the show, we should know what characters we are, we took a quiz, um, and then also just talked about it, like, make sure we are who we, we know who we are, um, I'm Guillaume, um, that kindness and that, like, compassion and stuff. Um, I like to think I'm a mix of Andro and Gilmi, but like, if we're talking about just the Hashira, I'm definitely just Gilmi. Because that's kindness personified, to be honest, with the Hashira. And then Liam is a friend of Um, Liam is Gyu. Um, Rex is Misery, and I forget who Meg is. I think it was the Wind Ashira. I forget his name. The Wind or Mist Ashira. I forget. It was, either, it was either Windmist or Stone, it was like the guy with the black hair. Anyway. Well, that's who we all are. And it was very cool to meet all of us, pretty much. Like, all my friends. It was like, oh shit, that's cool, that's me, that's Canvas. That's me. Yeah, it was very cool. Um, and then... And season two. Or, sorry. And then we... My lord. I am still not okay. I, I mean, I watched it last night, but man. I'm getting emotional just thinking about that movie. Like, I wish we got to spend more time with Mugugu before he got killed at the end. Um,. Maybe he has more backstory in the movie version. I'll probably watch it to be honest and let me know if you guys want to see a reaction to that. It might be a nightmare to avoid copyright, so maybe not. Anyway, um, yeah, just his love for life. His love for people, 
um, to the world. response to demons because he doesn't Renoko doesn't immediately attack he like greets them he talks to them he kind of gets he doesn't first get under their skin but he kind of like argues with them debates with them kind of sees what their values are kind of sees what their true nature is before he attacks and before he ends the demon's life. He kind of sees who is deep under the demon. Um, and obviously that came to a head when um, Akaza, aka up the level I want the first level, the, uh, the first upper level three. Uh, demon that we've encountered so far. The upper first level, first upper level demon we've encountered so far. That showed up, aka Akaza. So that kind of chit chat of like getting to know the demon with Rengoku and stuff into a head when all Akaza wanted to do was fight. And so it backfired. Because there was no... There was no soul. There was no... There was no person heading deep under the demon with Akaza. There was no kindness, there was no heart. There's only the fight for Akaza. And so Rengoku's heart backfired upon him and he got killed because he was holding back at first. Because he still thought there was someone in there. And he was wrong. For maybe the first time in his life. Maybe the first time as his time as a hush. And But either way, got to the, you know, I'll probably just recite fucking Tanjiro's thing at this point, but like, got to the very end, and uh, even though Akaza ran away, Rankoku won, because everyone on that train lived to see the day. And, uh, like, his mom says in Goku's dream. Um, I don't know if it was if it was still Goku's dream, but I think it was like just a flashback. I think. But um, let me let me actually if I have it. My quotes. I don't know if I do.
me just search up the code actually because I don't want to butcher it. Um, Mugen Train. Rengoku. Basically, she she starts off in the flashback by saying that Rengoku was a little child in this flashback, and she asks him why he thinks, if he knows why he was born stronger than most. Um, and he says, I don't know. And then she says, uh, so we can save weaker people. Um, she also says that is the obligation to um, something along the lines of there's an obligation to use that strength to save those less fortunate and um, basically <sighs> uh, more chills thinking about it man <sighs> That Rangoku had uh, with great power must also be a responsibility. And just knowing that, I mean, nothing ever in the history of media will, be, will beat with great power that comes great responsibility. But his mom saying that same message. No matter how it's worded, it's not the words of the, of that quote that matter. With great power, there must also come great responsibility. It's the message of it. It's great power, aka great strength, relating to even say now. Great power, great strength, his resolve, his compassion, his heart. There must also come great responsibility. His obligation to save those less fortunate, his him being a Hashira, him being a demon slayer. Um uh, him telling his brother to heart and set his heart ablaze <laughs> um, basically him telling his younger self because Sanjiro uh, uh, Goku's younger brother is basically the younger version of Goku, not literally but like you can tell that they're basically the same person. Um, personality, emotional, mental-wise. And that he'll grow up to be like him. To be like Rangoku. And... Yeah, man. Like... I'm willing to take in... Azunetsu, Inosuke, and Tanjiro 
this is uh, and this is like that was his great responsibility and it's also worded when it's also worded worded in another way after he um, is pretty much down for the count like he at this point he had his eye like a smashed eye um, and like internal organs are gonna fail broken ribs and all that um, and then he said I will have my duty fulfilled um, and that was pretty much the second half of it saying this is my great responsibility like yeah, um, and he uses that responsibility, man, and he saves everyone, and he humbles Akaza, doesn't kill him, he humbles him, and Tondro finishes that, and Tondro gets in the last fucking word, and I got chills when he said it. And then Rengoku smiles. And realizes that even though he's dying, right then, right then, or right now, fuck, hold on. Right then, at that moment, when Luger realizes, oh, well, this is okay. Because this kid will live, because I will live on in this child. I will live on in Tantra, because his. Rengoku's point in this whole story is that is the whole thing that his mom said of um, saving those less fortunate and For Rangoku, it was it's his, it was his mom. That every time he saves someone from a demon, it's like he's saving his mom, even though he couldn't when she died. And for Tanjiro, it's family that was slaughtered by the demon and by Muzan. So. They save a little bit of them goes into those into those people that they save. A little bit of that hope. A little bit of that great power goes into them. And then people that they save will use that great power that has been instilled into them by these heroes that they look up to. And they've known to fulfill a great responsibility. Um, it's incredibly important. And the shame Attack by Spider Man was cancelled when it did because 
that show. Josh Keaton. One of the best representations of Spider-Man I've in that message. With great power comes great responsibility I ever seen. I mean, come on, man. Just watch the scene from the third episode. The third episode. They had one of the most important quotes ever in the history of anything. Movies or shows or anything. In the third episode of the show, bro. Like, how do you... And of course, if you don't know the quote, it's, um, I'm not going to do the voice fully, just is I don't really care, I just want to get the message across. Um, it was the, <clears throat> it's all just, no, fuck, <laughs> it's all just a twist of fate, bad luck, a random bug bite. No being Spider-Man would be in a hard 9 p.m. curfew. Friends who all think I'm scum. Messed up hand. Friends who all think I'm scum. It was all just a, a, was all just a twist of fate. Bad luck, a random bug bite. Easiest decision I ever made. And then he, and then he whips a picture of Uncle Ben. Picture of Uncle Ben and realizes he needs to do the and he realizes the message. And he says, "But I, I saved him. Spider-Man has no magic wand, but thanks to the webhead, Kurt's gear, Billy gets his father back." Who cares if nobody threw a parade? Spidey stays because Spidey's needed. For now, anyway. And that quote is one of the most important messages ever. Spider-Man, and more importantly, that message has taught me more about life than I could ever hope in life itself. <laughs> um, and it's all thanks to Stanley for creating this character. And that whole message was expertly portrayed in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Even in his whole 32nd, like not even like his whole 45 seconds not even of screen time um with his cameo with Josh Keaton's spectacular Spider-Man he gets that message across again again bro in 45 seconds of screen time because he holds there's a projection of him holding Captain Stacy and saying I'm so sorry and realizing that that this is just my own speculation now because None of this was said, but, like, I'm realizing that with, with his great power, he failed to save somebody, and it was 
humble reminder of um, what the bird in the Spider-Man means, what the mantle of this, being this hero means for him, for Peter. For him, in the show, I mean, he only lost Uncle Ben before. Granted, it isn't easy, but like, compared to other Spider-Men, um, he's lost considerably less. Only losing Uncle Ben. And losing Uncle Stacy uh, hardens Spectacular's uh, Peter. Hardens him to his core. He realizes. How many people I lose, I need to be. No matter how many people he loses, he needs Spider-Man because it's it keeps the memory of the people that he loses alive. It keeps those people alive. It makes them um, it makes them heroes that live on in Peter makes them Spider-Man in their own right. Um, and like showing that that whole scene of like showing how it happens in every universe Captain Stacy dies and and that whole lesson and hardening with Peter happens, like I just said. Um, like, it gave, it's giving me chills right now and gave me chills in the theaters because it realized it, like, puts forth what it really means to be Spider Man and what it means to be a hero in general. Matter of smile at someone or say hi to someone or make someone's day. If you if you're like Spider-Man, like it really shows what it means to be like Spider-Man in terms of in terms of like that happening in every universe and. Just Spider-Man and it existing in every universe. Um, shows how everybody is a hero and how um, every universe has at least someone to look up to and to be inspired to not let their trauma define them. Everybody has that role model. And um they gave me chills realizing like it was like a slight joke, like whatever, but I think it was an interview with Phil Lord Chris Miller that they were saying that our universe, um, the Marvel is like, I forget the specific thing, but it was like, 
Earth 33, or like Earth whatever, whatever. But like, basically our Earth is canon in the Marvel Universe or whatever. I don't think that maybe, maybe that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was an interview with the Lord and Chris Miller, but it's, I heard it somewhere. But basically, we still have Spider-Man. Spider-Man is still in every universe, even ours. Even when he's not physically here. But he is real. Because the message is real. Because no matter how cheesy it sounds, I don't care. We all are Spider-Man. In our own way. Yeah, we're in the one universe where no one got bit, but our hearts have that Spider-Man in, in us. Our hearts have that radioactive Spider-Blood. Our hearts got bit. On our bodies, we didn't get abs, we didn't can't, can't flip through buildings, we can't swing through walls and climb on walls. It doesn't matter. We can inspire hope. We have that great power. To inspire hope. And that great responsibility. To lend that hope to as many people as we can. That more people can continue the cycle. And that's the message of Spider-Man. And that was perfectly. And has always, since the first movie, always been perfectly portrayed in the Spider-Verse movies. And that's why Miles is my favorite Spider-Man, because yes, there's no way home as an example, but no other really um, Spider-Man thing has shown that even if every Peter in existence lost Uncle Ben. It doesn't matter to Miles, because he's not Peter. He doesn't have to lose his dad. Spider-Man doesn't have to suffer. As long as he doesn't make the next kid suffer. As long as he doesn't let, let the next Miles Morales, the next Peter Parker, the next when, next whoever, suffer. Because Spider-Man only has to lose one person to realize that. He doesn't have to lose his dad, he doesn't have to lose five people in one week, he doesn't have to lose all of his family. He just had to lose Uncle Aaron. His Uncle Ben to realize that. To fully realize that. He was trying, he was he was gripping at the at the at the Spider-Man who came before for that first half of the movie before Uncle Aaron died. After Uncle Aaron after Uncle Aaron died, he realizes I have to be Spider-Man. I can't let this happen to someone else. Every uncle I save, every kid I save, 
that's one less, that's one more person who still has their family, who still has their uncle, who still has their uncle aunt, their uncle dad. No, Spider-Man doesn't have to constantly suffer, he has to suffer once, and realize that message, and then continue relaying it. That's who Spider-Man is. And Miguel doesn't realize that. None of the people on the Spider Society realize that. And unfortunately, a lot of the Spider people on the Society are vulnerable. Miguel and the leaders of the Spider Society who kind of Act on that vulnerability, and and specifically with spectacular uh, Josh Keaton Spider-Man. He's vulnerable, like high school almost senior. Like he's like he's gonna be vulnerable to. He's gonna side with Miguel, and like he's. Because if he can see that, oh, my trauma doesn't have to go in vain, these deaths don't have to go in vain, and oh, this doesn't just happen to me, like, of course he would side with me. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm taking what Josh Keaton said but about, um, about it, like, in one of his live streams, but like, I agree with him. Of course he would side with me, because he sees no other way to heal because he only sees that he has to suffer and barely any spider person uh, sees that besides Miles barely anyone else all the spider-men think they can do both every other spider-man disagrees with them and makes them think they can't. Something in them makes them think they can't do both. They can't save everyone. And yes, yeah, that's real. They can't save everyone. For every person that every spider person doesn't save, they will be saved with the next person to say. Because as I said, that's the whole point of fighting. Because every person that he saves keeps their Uncle Ben's memory in their mind and alive in their hearts. And it also keeps the deaths on their watch alive well, everyone that they haven't saved and been there for stays alive all of their memories for every person that they save for every person that they haven't saved that 
uh, they're saved. The very person that they continue to save. And that's, um, yeah, that's, that's what they expressed in this movie, and it was beautiful. And, goes to uh, Earth 42 and that whole cliffhanger. The thing that, uh, the takeaway from that, that I took from that was not just the cool, well that was a dope cliffhanger, but also Miles sees that every world, even where Spider-Man doesn't exist, needs that message, like I was saying. Um, because the power of Spider-Man isn't the webs, or even the super strength, or the clips, or anything. It's the hope. It's this traumatized kid. So he keeps getting up and soldiers on anyway, and that's why he's so popular, and that's why he's so important. And that's what every world needs. Miles sees that in Red 42. Literally, with all the crime and buildings burning around him, he sees, No, this world doesn't need me, it needs hope. It needs what I represent. It needs what the Spider Society is just is supposed to represent. That's why he's the best Spider-Man. Because he sees that and no one else. It takes a while for any other Spider-Man to realize. And, um... Gwen, I mean... Um... I watched a video by, I don't know if you guys know him, but, uh, Troy Boyo. Um, otherwise known as like fanboy reviews or fanboy this or he puts fanboy in a lot of kind of his thing. Um, I respect it though. But uh, one of his most re recent videos was obviously about Cross the Spider Verse, and he was talking about how Spider Man in general, um, of course, there's a wider Thing of just the superhero genre, but like specifically with this movie, uh, Spider-Man, mentalist, like the idea of Spider-Man is an allegory for uh, queer people. I mean, the line that at the start of the movie with the um, like, would they love me if I told them? Would they accept me if I told them that? And, and then at the end, and then at the end again, when he's telling Earth 42, uh, Rio, his mom, um, you gotta promise to love me the same. Um, I 
having that conversation, him and his mom, on the um, on the rooftop. And he wants to tell it to tell her right then, so bad. But he knows she wouldn't understand. He knows she wouldn't get it. She wouldn't understand what it's like to uh, live being different like that. And uh, it's incredibly important. And that all started when Stanley decided to give make the first superhero with personal problems. Those personal problems modernized with the times. Modernized with problems we all we all my age relate to now. And especially with the creation of Miles and Gwen, who, come on, is trans. Um, I mean, it's just, it's pretty fucking obvious. Her suit is pink and blue. She has a protect trans kids flag in her room. She, like, her whole universe is pretty much pink and blue. Her, like, the watercolor affects when she feels love or positivity. Or pink and blue, like, come on. Um, it's not really like that in the comics, to my knowledge. But with this movie, it's really like not pushing it, but like really saying like it's almost like the Lord and Chris Miller are like telling us through the screen she is trans. You have a role model now. Like, it's... It's so important. I'd love to just sit down with both of them and just ask them these questions. I wish I could, man. I wish I was at that point. But, um... To my mind, my headcanon is that that's true. Um... I wish I could ask them, but yeah, I, I feel like that's true. Because they wouldn't focus on that on that color scheme 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 so much. Have that poster in their room. Focus on it. Like they wouldn't focus on all that if that wasn't. You know what I mean? For like at least if you're gonna build on. You know what I mean? Like it, so yeah, um, that's my head cannon with that specifically. But I hope it's true. Because it, it's pretty much true, and it, like, there's a role model or another role model for trans kids now. Before then, the only popular one was um, Dreamer from DC, which she's, uh, she's an incredible trans role model superhero, but. Marvel didn't really have one, a popular one at least. Um, enter uh, Gwen in this movie, and that's incredible. And um, 
at just being different and embracing it anyway. And that allegory for Spider-Man. And Spider-Man for being queer. Being a queer person is so incredibly important that it goes beyond words of how important that message is. Of even if you're different, you should embrace it anyway. And with with great power, um, aka being different you have a great res- we have a great responsibility to inspire other kids other people to embrace their differences as well and that's why these movies are so important and that's why Miles is my first one and that's why Nothing beats the first one. <laughs> and that's why this trilogy will go down as one of the best trilogies in all of cinema history. And that's why Spider-Man is the best hero ever created, best character ever created by Across the Spider-Verse. A great movie. You should go see it right now if you have it. seen not much <laughs> uh, I had my Guardians review last time or not last time like last last time episode like 14 I think um, I already said that and then only the other things I've watched I already talked about Demon Slayer so And then I'll, I'll watch, after Demon Slayer, I'm going to watch Jojo. Um, and then we'll see from there. I may, I may watch some no-filler thing of One Piece before the live-action one comes up. I don't know about that. Pretty long-ass one. <laughs> Over a thousand episodes, like, Jesus. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, man, so... The only other thing was like, I don't think I ever talked about Creed 3, maybe, um, but yeah, I mean, go talk, uh, or then, um, not in the podcast at least, but like I did make a video essay shortly after I saw it, um, Like a short while after I saw the movie in theaters, my dad and uh, sister, but basically the main message of my video essay was that the main point was just that Rocky movies and the Creed movies, just the Rocky franchise in general, first of all, is how you make a great franchise, um, and also specifically shows how 
yeah, sometimes anger is the way. And sometimes you just have to let it out and come out the other side crying and accepting what happened. And making your making the brother that you're about to lose from your life. Accepting that you're losing him and both of you peacefully moving on. Leaving the room sad but happy and at peace. The most important part that was shown in this movie, and like most important messages of life. <laughs> uh, and just like how important it is. Men to show their emotions more. And like, ever since the Rocky movie came out in the 70s, man, like these movies have been showing that. And these movies have always been so fucking progressive, and I'm so proud of them for it. So proud of, like, that's Stallone is one of my idols. Some of my favorite movies ever made. Why I will show them to my kid, and they will show them to their kids, and yeah, until my whole bloodline is wiped out. I don't care. <laughs> That's how important these movies are, man. That's how important it is. Show your emotions. That's how important it is to be vulnerable. Specifically for males to not have toxic masculinity and shut shut down your emotions immediately when you feel them. To bear them and scream the woman you love and like scream the name of the woman you love and accept help when it's been given and accept that yo Adrian, you help me get where I am and, and therefore scream your name as loud as I fucking can like because he didn't scream oh yo look at what I did I got the belt he screamed Adrian he screamed the name of the woman he loves because he knows that without her he wouldn't be in that ring because he accepted that help as a healthy emotionally healthy and available man accept that help and scream the realization at the end. Same with Creed 3, man. I mean, it's portrayed as anger with the fight between Damon with Damon Creed, but Adonis, but you couldn't hear the pain in Michael Jordan's character, like Michael B. Jordan's character. Like you can hear the pain in that scream. And the pain in that scream 
and Dame Scream as well, she, like, represents... They don't want this fight to happen. They don't want to fight each other. They don't want to lose each other. They're accepting that they are. With those screams that they just did and belted out, both Dame and Creed accepted with anger and guilt and sadness and fear and all of those emotions all at once in one scream they accepted all of that with the concept of losing both of them of losing each other and uh yeah that's the message of like all of the movies and it's so important uh yeah that was pretty much all I said that that's pretty much my man message in the video essay, too, but... Yeah, man, I don't think there's any other... Movies, or big movies that... So... Um... I think next... Podcast episode, I should... Be able to talk about... Uh, Indiana Jones, because I'm very excited for that. Maybe... Maybe even Liam will join me for that conversation with us. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. Um, uh. One of the last things, uh, trailer roundup. So, uh, let me just show you the trailer for this first. Now I'll turn it down a bit actually while I play it. So basically, um, I'm so excited for this movie. I saw, um, I know about this because I saw Ben Platt. Yes, I love Ben Platt. Um, Dear Evan Hansen is one of the most inspirational things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, first of all, this movie seems fucking hilarious. Um, but my knowledge, I don't think. Has there ever been a theater movie that's represented um, that's represented us um, portrayed us as nothing but a joke nothing outside of a joke yes obviously musicals and musical movie adaptations but actual human lives and human theater kids, real people. We've never, real theater, like we've never been represented by anything but a joke, aside of a joke, to my knowledge. I'm wrong, please, please correct me. I would love to be wrong um, about that, but. This is the first movie that presents us as nothing, as something outside of a joke. That makes this movie much more special than it already would be otherwise. 
because there's so much out of the trailer, I thought how funny it was, but I'm also seeing uh, the love. And how just simple as well that's cool a theater kid for me it's much more than that it's much more important than that it's a movie where it's representing fear it's in a time where we're being shut down in a time where our voices aren't being heard the governments aren't being heard by the people in their ivory towers at top. Like, in America, they're trying to kill us. <laughs> in Canada, I'm sure, I mean, I, I pray that it won't. But in Canada, it's, it'll get There's a chance that we'll get to that point too. say this with no joking matter, one of the most important things to ever be made. Ever. Um, it's in, it's, this is incredibly important to me and many people. Many queer people, many people. Um, allies, queer people like me, It's very important. And, um, yeah. 
there's there's one thing of seeing yourself on screen. It's another thing where you realize that the representation that the representation of you that is on the screen is a positive representation and people who have been people who were against you in the past will see that there's no negativity and that we aren't bad we don't have a hidden, we don't have a hidden agenda and we aren't spawns of the devil and we aren't anything like that just for this movie to show that is um, amazing and um, I, I ever meet Ben Flat I will hug him very deeply, and then whisper in his ear, thank you for making this, and thank you for making dear minutes. Because those, I don't care what he's done, those are the most important messages. kids I've ever seen and it's all not all more people involved in these projects but like a lot of it is thanks to Ben Platt he's an amazing person and uh, he has an amazing heart So I would um, kind of break down shot for shot the uh, FNAF trailer. But um, I've already seen so many videos and I already had my Original thoughts before I saw any other video talking about it. My original thoughts before any video talking about it were basically just that. Excuse me. Um, just that Vanessa is definitely that cop. Um, let me just show you her.
was just saying that. Yeah, so Vanessa is definitely that cop that uh, talks to Mike. Mike. Uh, Josh. 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 Hutcherson's character is definitely Michael Afton. I mean, come on. I just don't think he knows his father. Like, his father was cut out of his life, so they're, like, kind of altering the lore uh, with this. Um, and then Abby... I guess that's also that's also an alteration of the lore, because to my knowledge, um, in the original story, I don't think Michael Afton never had a sister, and William Afton never had a daughter. So, cool. I mean, that that's a great alteration, though. Um, it's like that's the heart of it. So, good good change. Um, William Afton already figured. Um, before anyone said anything, maybe before I watched any videos or something like that. Eve Raglan, come on. Um, that's just a pseudonym for William Afton. And he's still William Afton, he's just hacking it. Um, motherfucking Springtrap. Uh, like, he becomes Springtrap. I don't know when, um, but I would think based off of how he's still William Afton in the of the movie. I don't know, because like... Maybe... Because the original lore is obviously he gets springlocked, the springlock pair of the spring lock failure happens in like late 80s and then he's trapped in there for like a decent amount of time and then you know let me just search that actually quickly just so I know what I'm talking about how long was William Afton Out of the suit eventually? What? When did he get out of the suit? I thought he died. In the suit. What? 
Yeah. Um, okay. So, like... I'm just gonna take a random guess here and be like... And say, like... 20 tens. Sometime. Like, early 2010s, we woke up from the, the spring last week. But anyway, my point of that was like, I think they're altering the lore again by saying he, like, because in one movie, if he's William Rafton and Springtrap in one movie, and like, it's not like it was a clean spring bonnie suit that he was in. It like, was like a rotting, not yellow anymore, like, yellow turned to green, Springtrap, rotting, humanized suit. It was, it was Springtrap. It wasn't William Afton inside the suit, it was Springtrap. So... Oh, like it... Maybe... Maybe there's some time travel element there? I'm kind of against that, but like, if it's, if it's executed well, then it can be done well. Um... Like, logic tells me that... Maybe... That maybe the suit just looks old. And he, um... He's like really wrapped it inside the suit. I don't know. Um, or maybe oh man, I, I don't know how that would work in terms of him becoming Springtrap and being William Afton and Springtrap in one singular movie. I don't know how that would work. I really don't. I'm sure it'll be explained, but for right now, I got nothing on that. But. Yeah, um, either way, I'm very excited for him because I fucking love Spring Trap. He's one of the best villains in video games. Like, so awesome. Um, so intimidating, scary, and creepy. Gross. Um, the. The whole thing at the end, it was shown in the teaser as well, of like, I think it was Mangle, either Mangle or the puppet that was um, trying to turn Billy, really, really, uh, trying to turn Mike, trying to turn Michael into an animatronic. I don't know if he's going to get turned into animatronic like he does in the lore, the original lore, in the first movie, like, I, I don't know, that doesn't really add up to me, because, like, I think it also takes him a while to wake up, if I'm not mistaken, that Michael after It doesn't take him 30 years, that's for sure, but, like, it takes him a while, I think. I think they're definitely gonna turn him into one. I just don't know when or how. <laughs> but yeah, 
Like maybe... Like maybe he escapes that first attempt at them trying to turn him into an animatronic at the end of the movie. And then, like in some sort of last scene or post-credit scene or something, kind of shows that um, it's kind of going to haunt him until the second movie or um, more accurately into FNAF 2. The next few, I'm just gonna put the next few movies, the next few games, to be exact, um, because yeah, he doesn't get turned into one until not FNAF four, because FNAF four was the crying child, but FNAF five, spring location, <laughs> sister location. Um, yeah, he he doesn't get turned into an animatronic until sister location, so. I don't know. But like, in terms of time-wise, um, I would think they would kind of not rush it. I think they're gonna um, convolute some things, kind of like lead things along in terms of like years, because doesn't make sense that really imagine I'm sorry I'm still on this would be in there for 30 years in terms of the movies it wouldn't make sense for Michael Afton to be stuck in his animatronic form for like a while there and then wake up as well with, I don't know maybe like they kind of have to speed things along in terms of like stuff with multiple years involved. In terms of everything else, I think it's reset. Like, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I mean, they, they set up the, the game mechanics with the watch and the monitors and stuff like that. You could hear, like, um, the shaggy of Matthew Lillard's uh, voice. Like the, all you have to do is keep your eyes in the monitor. Like you could hear like Shaggy's like the kind of like insanity of Afton in there. I'm so excited for his portrayal of him. And he's gonna fucking rock that. Um, of a video game. I'm so excited. It looks like they're going R, like full R rating, because like you saw people get crushed in that movie in the trailer, like you saw um I mean I wouldn't again I I don't think Mike, I don't think Michael's gonna get turned into an animatronic in this. Like, you'll see him almost get turned into one with the fucking saws and everything going in, 
I'm almost going into his face. Um, I'm sure you'll. I'm sure there's more people that will see die in the movie. But a death by animatronic. Like, obviously, if he's spring, if he's spring trapped in the same movie, we're gonna see the spring lock failure. So that's already an R rating right off the bat. That scene, because that's. Whew. <laughs> You cannot make that scene PG-13, bro. <laughs> like, springs going into your flesh and muscle and put it. Like, that's literally an R rating. Like, so. It's gonna be so metal. Um, yeah. Vanessa's. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it, because, like, I love her character. It was like one of the only, if not the only good thing in Security Breach. I know what, one of the um, good things in Security Breach um, was her character. But like, Security Breach isn't for a very long time. And also, like, in the lore uh, timeline. And also, it's a little bit weird in terms of how they're going to execute her character in, um, I guess in this sense, FNAF 1, um, but, like, because a very central connection to her character in Security Breach was resurrecting Afton. As, as Vanny and stuff, so... I don't think they're gonna have her working with Afton in this, but I could be wrong. They... They just... Obviously, he wouldn't be Glitch Trap. Because that stuff was... That, that was a little fucking stupid. Like the, whole glitch, the whole Glitch Trap thing. So... Who knows, though? Um... Could just be working with Afton secretly. Just as Scream Trap, rather than Glitch Trap. That's a small change. Not too... Not too confused about that if they do that. I think that's it with, the, with that trailer. And then, um... Mutant Mayhem. Oh my god, I'm so excited for Tinkman 2, bro. I literally... I've seen this trailer, I've rewatched this trailer so many times. I, I tear up every time with the whole... Um, Michelangelo, Michelangelo, you have heart. Um, Donatello, you have wisdom. Raphael, bravery. And Leonardo, honor. And Jackie Chan as uh, Splinter is such a damn good choice. Like, it's not even, like, it's not even funny. It's such a good fucking choice. Because he has that, like, motherly humor. But then he also has that heart, and that, like, soul, and that, like, really gripping, like, holy shit heart of him, and, yeah, man, and, art style is obviously without question so fucking cool, um, <laughs> the fact that Seth Rogen and, like, 
people that genuinely love TMNT are making this is so good and like so promising. Um, I mean, the, the choice to have them all be actual ages of teenagers is very good. Um, a way to be comic accurate with April and have her be like all black and afro and stuff in New York. Such a good choice. Um, to have her be like a young and budding reporter rather than like a douchey, like Megan Fox type. Um, who works at like some firm. Like, just, eh. <laughs> like, I like April, like, I like April more when she's this young, passionate, like, uh, like, really passionate for journalism, like, doesn't care to rise up the ranks of some stupid firm, um, with some boss not believing in turtles and Ninja Turtles being real, like, no, it's her and her blog and her websites and her voice being heard. Like, it's, she's a very cool character. I'm glad she's being represented accurately in this. Um, yeah, man, you can already, already tell how connected these brothers are. And... I'm sure they're gonna argue at some point during the movie. And at any time when uh, the turtles argue, it's so heartbreaking because you always want to see them just have fun and just like hang out and fight bad guys. But like, then you see them get real and you see them argue and you see them butt heads and it's, it's sad. It really hurts. To see Splinter, to see Splinter die again, I don't want that to happen. But if they do, I hope they do it well. Excuse this death well. Um, yeah, man. Uh, to end it off, I'm going to read um, story to you. short story book, uh, to clarify, not the book, I wrote the book, um, of short story prompts, it's like one or two sentence prompts, um, 200 of them, like 200 one-page stories that I can write, um, basically just like a writing challenge book, my sister got me, uh, last Christmas night. Yeah, I'll read you the Spider-Man one, since it relates to Spider-Verse, as to what I was talking about in today's episode, so I'm just going to get the book right there, just one second. I'll try to do the trash keeping voice here. 
<coughs> Alright, I'll play the game so I don't. do that kind of thing. I mean, really, who does she think she is? In what universe is it okay to decide who lives and who dies? Especially when it comes to the people she, we care about most. Spider-Man cares about most. God, what if I don't want to suffer anymore? I wouldn't mind a sign from you, you know? Only people I could ever grant to about this stuff have used the traumatic reasons we are who we are as the very excuses they call canon events. Talking up the bullshit we've gone through, the pain we've endured, the people we I've lost. And Jessica Drew, who didn't even get bitten by a random bug bite like me. I think she can just wrangle up a bunch of versions of me, my student Miles. A lot of other random spideys. A lot of trauma is a collective part of some bigger, some spider-verse. I don't care how many or who I've lost. Not standing by and letting someone suffer or die is why I became Spider-Man in the first place. So no, I'm not joining them. Because I'm not going to control someone's trauma. We, I, don't deserve that. Manipulation. They don't get that. And they don't get the first thing about how to be Spider Man. How to use our masks as badges. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm pretty proud of it, so uh, yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, this, the longest episode of this podcast so far a lot to talk about and catch up on so uh, I think I'll plan episodes more because I think this went well so uh, other than the small interruptions we had yeah all that being said guys uh, good night this is when Michael creates and this won't last long so the 17th remember good power also come great responsibility also your heart, please.